Hallelujah. Let's say our confession. This is our year of jubilee. We expect manifestations of the Holy Ghost in power. We believe for financial miracles and miracles of healing. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start this morning in Mark chapter 11, verse 12. And on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a, far, a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the times of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of this of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Verse 20. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Folks, I want you to draw your attention to verse 22, where Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. This word in, I think it's a preposition. Is, but anyway, the, the word that's translated in is not in the original text. Where it says, have faith in God. We think very often of having faith in God's ability to do what his word says. Now, in most of these translations that I have access to, the overwhelming way that it's translated is have faith in God. But there are some other translations, not a whole lot, but some other translations that translate have the faith of God. Now, at the time that this event takes place, Jesus has returned to Jerusalem for his crucifixion to pay the price for sin for mankind and so there are you may remember in Luke chapter 21 and Matthew chapter 24 that Israel is likened to a fig tree I am certain that with the timing of when this takes place and the other things surrounding Jesus return to Jerusalem it has a prophetic um, meaning whereas he's cursing not the nation of Israel but the system of the law of Israel the law of Moses that's kept by uh, kept by Israel so uh, I'm certain that there is some prophetic meaning behind Jesus cursing the fig tree that which represents the law of Moses but when Jesus explains in response to Peter's question, was really not a question, it's just a statement that he makes. Behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. 
where it says when Jesus explained that he operated these, this miracle by cursing the fig tree and the fig tree drying up from the roots, he doesn't refer to any prophetic meaning or any other meaning besides the way that faith operates. Now these disciples have been with Jesus for three, almost three and a half years and they have seen miracles done, miracles of healing, miracles of provision, all kinds of things where Jesus superseded the laws of nature to walk on the water, for example. But Jesus has to explain to them what he did and why he did it and how this thing called faith works. Where Jesus said have faith, or where it tra is translated, that Jesus said have faith in God. That implies that we are waiting or looking to God to do something. But that's really not what he's referring to. Where he describes the operation of faith, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Then he describes how faith works in prayer. Verse 24, Therefore I say unto you what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. There's several scriptures that I want to draw to your attention this morning concerning the faith that Jesus refers to, the operation of faith, and so forth. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him? of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now folks, stop and think about this for a minute. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When Jesus was tempted of the devil, the first temptation that came to him, that Satan presented to him, was to turn stones into bread. He was fasting and had been fasting for 40 days. Now toward the end of the fast, he's, the Bible identifies his hunger. And so Satan appears and says, if you are the son of God, Command these stones be turned to bread. And Jesus answered and said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Actually, he didn't just say that. He referred to it being written in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So it tells us that faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. 
Now, if the word of God, which Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 63, if the word of God is spirit and life, the words that I speak unto you are spirit and life. If that's true, then that means the word of God, the eternal written word, is the source for faith that changes things. It's the source for this spiritual force called faith that can move mountains. Now, another scripture I want you to see is in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, folks, I want you to notice something. He's writing to believers. He's writing to people that have been saved. He's writing to people that are filled with the Holy Ghost. And he tells them to present their bodies a living sacrifice. He tells them to renew their mind to the truth of the word. Now, in that context, verse 3, he goes on to say, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now notice where it says he encourages us not to think of ourselves more highly. Notice that, that those two words of himself are not, uh, it's in italics, which means the translators added it to try to help us gain greater understanding of God's will for our lives. So here with these writing to born-again, spirit-filled believers, he tells them that the new birth experience, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. He's telling us that that new birth experience as miraculous as it is to deliver our spirits, the real us, from the penalty of sin and sickness and disease. He says that every one of us have been dealt a measure of faith. Now that measure of faith came to us when we were born again, when we took action based upon what we heard and we asked Jesus into our hearts. And the Bible says that as a result of that supernatural work that took place on the inside of us, we have been dealt or delivered unto this measure of faith The Bible is telling us that you and I have a measure of the God kind of faith. A measure of faith, the kind of faith that God used to create the worlds. 
in the universe. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you don't think of yourself, not just of yourself, but don't think of anything more highly than you ought to think. According as God, or because God has dealt to every one of us, the measure of faith. You have a measure of the God kind of faith. Now, if God is delivering to us faith by hearing the word of God, again, Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Then the word, the result for the faith that God has created to be ours is the byproduct of the eternal word of God, the word of God that cannot lie, the voice of God that cannot lie. And he's dealt to us the measure of faith. If God has dealt to us the measure of faith, then what kind of faith is he giving us? Another verse that I want you to see is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, the way that this verse is written, it could mean that the grace of God is a gift and or the faith of God is a gift. Both would be true and accurate to identify that God has given something to us. But notice it says that faith is the gift of God. The faith that comes by hearing the word, the faith that comes by hearing that Jesus died on the cross for us. That measure of faith comes from God the Father, and it is a gift to us. But if God is giving us faith, what kind of faith is he giving? Any faith that comes from God would have to be the God kind of faith. How could God give us something other than of himself? And the Bible tells us that faith, that God is a faith God You have been given a measure of the God kind of faith. Since God is giving it to us, what kind of faith could he give us other than the faith that is of him? So we see the scripture tells us several times what faith is provided for us. Faith cometh by hearing. Faith is given by God. Faith is a gift. And we've been dealt a measure of the God kind of faith. Now in Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible tells us about those in Israel's past 
that have operated by faith. Now, the reason I'm saying this and the point I'm trying to make is that God delivers to us his faith, the byproduct of his word. It's a spiritual gift that comes from God and God only. And we've been dealt this measure of faith. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 14, it identifies for us the situation, the circumstances behind Pharaoh's or Egypt's deliverance from Pharaoh. The Bible tells us that when Pharaoh finally after the death of the firstborn that completed the ten plagues upon the gods of Egypt. The Bible tells us that God instructed Moses to take the people of Israel and to go to a place where they're boxed in. They've got mountains on the right side. They've got mountains on the left side that they can't pass through. And they've got the Red Sea in front of them. And so when Pharaoh changes his mind and comes to destroy the children of Israel, it tells us that Moses delivered the information from God to them that they needed to have. Exodus chapter 14, verse 13, And Moses said to the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will show to you this day. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall never see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. But lift up thy rod and stretch out thy hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground to the midst of the sea. And I, behold, will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon his host, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh and upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. Now verse 13 identifies that God rebukes Moses for calling unto him to deliver his people. Now why would God question or rebuke Moses for seeking God in his to take action to deliver the people? God puts more emphasis on you and I standing upon his word, standing upon the truth of God's word, and to exercise authority. Now, you remember in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it tells us that after God had created the, everything about the world, the heavens, the universe, 
the grass of the field, the trees, everything that he created, he created for one purpose, and that was to give man authority over his works. Genesis 1.26 says, let, God said, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness and let them have dominion over the work of our hands. God created mankind to exercise authority, to be the authority over the earth. Now, nine different times did God instruct Moses and Aaron to perform miracles in the sight of the Egyptians to show that he was the most high God. The last of the ten plagues was the death of the firstborn. Do you remember God had given Israel the Passover and commanded that they put the blood of the lambs that were slain upon the doorpost and the lentils? But then after the last plague took place, the death of the firstborn, Israel was thrust out. It wasn't any more a question or seeking permission for Israel to leave Egypt. The people recognized that all these terrible plagues that were coming upon them were the result of God taking their side, taking the side of the Israelites. And so when the time came, after the death of the firstborn, they thrust them out. The Bible says they chased them off. Israel is not any longer trying to get permission to go. The people are so grieved because of the plagues, particularly the last one, the death of the firstborn of every house, that they forced them out. They chased them away. And so when Pharaoh, in his grief, comes to the understanding or the knowledge of where Israel is, where they've been encamped, the Bible tells us that Pharaoh chased after them. And Moses had faith in God. He believed that God would deliver his people. He believed that God would keep his promise to deliver Israel from the bondage of Egypt. And he relates to the people. He tells them, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight this battle for you. But as soon as he finishes talking to the people and declaring that God will do something for them God turns around and says why aren't you doing something he turns it around on Moses and says why are you crying after me now folks that would seem to me to be the perfect time to cry unto the Lord but God who operates differently than what we sometimes think he rebukes Moses for not using the rod 
the small stick that he has been utilizing, symbolizing the power of God for all of the different plagues that had taken place. For example, the first plague where he stretched out his hand over the Nile River to turn it to blood, that was not something he was seeking God, seeking after God to do. In many of them, not, not all, but in many of these plagues, they came about as a result of Moses stretching forth the rod, the symbol of this power, the symbol of the power that God has given him. And each time the plagues began as a result of Moses stretching forth or using that rod, So when God tells Moses or questions him or rebukes him, I'm not sure which word would be best used, but one of them certainly. When he tells Moses that the appropriate thing to do in that particular time was not to call on God in prayer. It was not to pray that God would do something, but rather to utilize the symbol of his power, this rod, this short stick, shepherd's stick, to stretch out his hand over the waters and the waters would divide. And they did. So in Matthew, in Mark chapter 11, where we see that Jesus, after Peter calls to his remembrance that he cursed the fig tree the day before and the tree was now withered and dried up from the root. Jesus explains that faith works by saying to the mountain of the problem. It also works in prayer. But the reason it works in prayer is because you're saying it. You're speaking your desires for a change to be made depending on what your circumstance or situation is. So he tells Moses not to pray for something to happen, but to exercise authority, exercise his authority. And you go back several chapters in Exodus, back to chapter 12, and it tells us that God related to them, to Moses, what he was going to do and how he was going to do it. He related to them the Passover instructions, and a part of that Passover instruction was to borrow jewels and gold and find valuables to take with them when they left Egypt. Well, they did just exactly that, and the Bible says that they spoiled the Egyptians. The Egyptians were so ready for them to leave and put an end to all these plagues and different things that have taken place. 
And that's exactly what happened. God speaks in past tense. And the reason he speaks in the past tense is because his word is the source. It's literally a map of the spirit realm, the unseen realm, so that we can utilize the resources, the spiritual resources that God has given us to effect a change in this world, to bring it back in line with God's original plan and purpose. In Hebrews chapter 11, we made mention of the fact that it's a hero's hall of fame, of faith people. It tells us in verse 3, well, why don't we read it rather than just quote it, that I may leave some things out. But in Hebrews chapter 11, it starts off, and tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Verse 3, it says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. This word framed is the word to complete thoroughly or to repair. when the story of creation tells us that the earth had become without form and void and God began to speak things into existence, it doesn't tell us, it's not relating to us the original creation of the earth. It's relating to us the recreation of the earth. The repair, the thoroughly, completely complete system adjusted or repaired to bring forth life and to sustain life. So by it, we understand by faith that the worlds were framed by the word of God or the, by God speaking the word of God. And as he spoke the word of God, the things came into existence. Now, folks, that's the way that God has dealt to us or delivered to us this supernatural force that enables his will to be done on the earth. There's a restoration process that God has set in motion and delivered under the sons of men so thereby we change the earth in our own lifetime in our own experience to bring things back into focus and to bring things back into the original condition that God created the earth to be So when God rebukes Moses and says, why criest thou unto me? He's telling him, literally, you use your authority. You use the authority I gave you by sending you forth to Pharaoh. You use your authority. 
use the authority given unto you as a man and as a leader of the children of Israel. The hall of faith of fame list continues and it talks about different works of faith that were done by those who submitted themselves to God's plan and purpose. It talks about the difference between the sacrifice of Cain and Abel. It talks about Noah building the ark. It talks about Abraham believing God for a son after he was 100 years old. It tells us about others that defeated Israel's enemies. And in every case, every person that's mentioned, the Bible is talking about the operation of faith, the spiritual force of faith that produced supernatural results, miraculous results, even as the miracle of creation was utilized or brought into, into being by God himself through the words that he spoke. It tells us, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11.3, it tells us that God used words to tap into spiritual resources, unseen resources, to change things here on the earth. Now, Israel exercised faith in God in many ways. In fact, this Hebrews 11 list of heroes makes mention, just real briefly, of things that were left out that could have been added to the list that we have record of. It doesn't talk about Daniel and the lion's den. It doesn't talk about the three Hebrew children thrown into the fiery furnace. It doesn't identify a lot of different examples and things that took place. So Paul seems to be saying, for the sake of time and space, there are other things that I could make mention of, other operations of faith. But for the sake of summarization, he just mentioned some of the, the highlights or the most important things that took place. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is in Second Chronicles chapter 20. It tells us about how Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, was set upon by enemy kings. Verse 1, it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with him others beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria, and behold, they be in some place which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim the fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. 
Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord and before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art thou not God in heaven? And rulest thou not over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand there is not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee. Art not thou our God, who did drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gave it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein, and had built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil comes upon us, as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. And now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldst not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Now notice a couple of things here. First of all, Jehoshaphat has faith in God. I'm saying that in a very specific manner because he has faith that God will hear and answer his prayer. Now that's right and that's appropriate, but contrast that with Moses when he says that the salvation of the people, the deliverance of the people will come from God himself. God turns it around on him and says, why are you crying out unto me? Why are you not using your authority? Why are you not doing something about this with the full knowledge that God wanted Israel to be saved? God wanted Israel to be delivered from that bondage of Egypt. God wanted his people to come out of Egypt in a mighty, mighty way. Here, to compare with Jehoshaphat and his situation, Jehoshaphat has faith in God, but he's seeking direction. He needs to know what God wants him to do. Moses didn't need that. Moses knew what God wanted him to do. He told him, when he told Moses to bring the people to this place where they were boxed in, he had already told Moses that he had in, intended to gain honor upon Pharaoh and exercise judgment against the gods of Egypt in one last fell swoop, so to be. He is identified to Moses before he ever got there what he's sending him there for. So when Moses speaks to the children of Israel and says, don't worry, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, he's relating to them his understanding of the will of God and faith always begins where the will of God is known. And so Moses tells the people very clearly that God will deliver them. But he doesn't seem to be of the opinion or the understanding that he's going to have something to do with that deliverance. 
Moses is declaring his faith in God. Again, there's that phrase, faith in God. Expecting God to do something to show himself strong and to, del to deliver his people. And so God turns it back around on him and says, you do something about this. You know why I brought you here. You know that I have promised and declared that the children of Israel would go free from the bondage of Egypt. So now you do something about it. That's exactly what Jesus did when he saw the fig tree was unfruitful. He cursed it. He didn't pray about it. He didn't pray for God to punish the fig tree. He simply cursed it and commanded it to wither and dry up from the root. Here's Jehoshaphat who has faith in God. There's that phrase again. He has faith in God. He believes that God will take action. He believes that God will hear and answer his prayer because of his promise when the temple was dedicated, originally dedicated. And so he starts talking about not the problem. He doesn't talk about the enemy armies that are coming against him. He starts off and begins talking about the bigness of God. He begins talking about how great God is and what promises God had made to them. And so now in verse 10, he gets down to the, the reason that he's called this prayer meeting, nationwide prayer meeting. And now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wast not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no mind against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and you shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose early in the morning and they went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord 
and that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And when they began to sing into praise, notice when the action took place, and when they began to sing into praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Moab, Ammon, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were spit, smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them, that when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy one another. And when Judah came down, came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance riches and jewels, with the dead bodies and precious jewels which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And they were three days in gathering the spoil. It was so much. Folks, I believe we need some three-day spoil victories. Now, how did God respond to Jehoshaphat when he called the nation of Israel, or Judah, really, to petition the Lord and to pray about the armies that were lined up against them? God identifies through this individual that begins to speak by the Spirit of the Lord. He identifies that he will fight for Israel. He tells Israel that they won't need to fight, very much like in Exodus chapter 14, where Moses tells the people to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Here's Jehoshaphat, praise, in my opinion, one of the great prayers of all time. He begins talking about how big God is. He begins talking about the promise that God had made to Israel to deliver them from their enemies. He reminds God of what he said. God had told them that if they seek his face in the sanctuary, then he would be an eternal deliverer for his people. He even talks to him about Ammon and Moab and the people of Mount Seir. He said the only reason these people are around is because you wouldn't let us destroy them when we came out of Egypt. And here's how they reward us. Now the Bible tells us, it identifies for us the promise that God makes. He identifies that he will fight the battle for them, that they don't need to fight and on the next morning, as Jehoshaphat gathers his armies, he understands 
But since God said they wouldn't have to fight, there's no reason to put the army out front. He put the worship team out there. Now, he wouldn't have done that if he hadn't had the promise from God that the people wouldn't have to fight in the battle. But he has been given direction from God, instruction on what God will do, instruction on what the children of Israel would not have to do, and that is fight in the battle. And so he puts the singers and the praisers out front. And folks, that's a good life lesson. When you've got the word of God on something pertaining to your situation, whether it's the word of God concerning healing from sickness and disease or deliverance from the bondage of the devil in some other way, when you have instruction from God that this battle is his and not yours, then there's no reason whatsoever for you to think that you're going to experience a fight but instead, rather, we should put the praisers in the, and the singers out front. Now, a lot of times, those praisers and singers are going to be you. There are some situations where we as a group together, maybe as a local church or whatever, would have to stand together in faith and fight the good fight of faith. But in Romans chapter 4, it tells us that Abraham was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Folks, those are the two elements of being strong in faith. Being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he's able to do and to glorify him, praise him for the answer before you see it. Now, the Bible tells us what happens when we do that and operate that way. When they began to sing and to praise, the Lord said, ambushment. When they began to sing and to praise, the Lord said, ambushment. They already had the word of God on what was going to happen. The day before, the Bible tells us of God's response to their prayer. But notice the answer didn't come before Jehoshaphat put the singers and the praisers out front. I want you to compare this with Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 tells us about the story, or chapter 3 really tells us about the story of the man that was healed at the beautiful gate of the temple. Next day it says, Acts chapter 4 verse 5, and it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked by what power or what name 
Have you not done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against them. Folks, this is one of those three days full of the results. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done by them, is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. Notice verse 16 tells us the attitude of the Pharisees. What can we do to punish them? Because he's healed the man at the beautiful gate that everybody in town knows. And so, of course, they had to be punished. They'd done something good in the name of Jesus. And their position was that punishment was required. Folks, religion is a damnable thing. So they said, what indeed, what shall we do to these men for that indeed the notable miracle has been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. Why are they trying to keep the healing power from being spread among the people? And they called them and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge you. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them. Because of the people, for all, the, for all men glorified God for that which was done. For this man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. Verse 23, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders and had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Notice how they're talking about how big God is, just like Jehoshaphat did in Second Chronicles chapter 20. They haven't even started talking about the reason that they came to pray that starts in verse 29 and now Lord behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal 
and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. Folks, this is the kind of praying that gets results. Now, what are they asking God for? What is the purpose of their prayer? The purpose for their prayer is to ask for boldness, greater boldness, to speak the word. Greater boldness to speak the name of Jesus. Now, if you remember, it wasn't too long before this, just a couple of months, really, that after Jesus was crucified, Peter and the other disciples were locked up behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. They were afraid that the same people that put Jesus to death would come and put them to death too. Jesus therefore appeared unto them in the middle of the room breathed on them and said receive you the Holy Ghost and they were born again now once they were born again they went out openly into the streets and when the Holy Ghost was poured out on the day of Pentecost they preached to the crowds and got 5,000 people saved I'm sorry I, I get those mixed up there were 3,000 people that got saved on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost was poured out. But as a result of this man that was healed in Acts chapter 3, there were 5,000 people that were added to the church. Notice the difference in Peter and John as they're talking to the Pharisees, talking to the very people they used to be afraid of. People that they were huddled up behind closed doors in fear of and now standing face to face. Peter tells them, you can threaten all you want, but we're going to speak the name of Jesus because that's what we know about. But what happened? The Bible tells us that the place where they prayed was shaken. It doesn't tell us there was an earthquake in the city, just an earthquake in that house. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Great power resulted, came about as a result of the disciples praying for greater boldness. Now, folks, what does that mean? It means they began to speak about Jesus and his resurrection in even more purposefully speaking 
the goodness of God and telling about the Messiah that has paid the price for sin and sickness and poverty. All as a result of boldness. As a result of their prayer for boldness, power was increased. And people were delivered. There's another situation in the book of Acts in chapter 16 that might be worth looking at. Verse 16 of Acts chapter 16, And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying, his fortune-telling. And the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned, him, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent, rent, rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in stocks. And at midnight, I believe this was literally midnight that it's speaking of, but it's symbolic to represent the midnight in your situation or your crisis. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed, and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And at midnight, they began to sing, pray and sing praises unto God. What do you think they prayed about and sang about while they were in prison. If it's me, I'd be praying to get out of there. And I'm certain that they prayed the same way. The reason that they're there is because they had a vision. Paul had a vision in the night of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. So the only reason they're in this town, this is the town of Philippi, the chief city of the, of the um, Macedonian region, so they're there, they get one little girl converted or cast the devil out of her. She's no longer able to operate by the evil spirit to tell fortunes and make money for their masters, her masters. 
So at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Now the next thing that happens is an earthquake shakes this prison. Again, it's not an earthquake in town. It's an earthquake in this prison. And this earthquake shakes everybody's chains and Um, well, it talks about their feet felt, held fast in the stops. So this earthquake is very directed and very targeted and just, just shakes everybody's bonds loose, chains, whatever else is holding. And nobody moves. Paul and Silas weren't the only ones that were freed, all the prisoners that were there were freed and nobody moves nobody makes a rush for the door nobody tries to get out of the prison now folks there's only one thing we can attribute that to and that is what they heard the disciples pray and sing praises about the keeper of the prison is thinking the worst that everybody has escaped and that will mean the loss of his life if that's what happened so he goes running into the inner prison and finds Paul and Silas there and everybody else is there everybody else is afraid to move a peg they're afraid because of what they heard these men pray or say to God and sing praises to him about. The keeper of the prison gets saved in his whole household. And the next morning, the magistrates sent word to turn Paul and Silas loose and to release them from prison. But Paul identifies them as Romans and said they, they beat us publicly, but now privately they want us to go away. Folks, Paul went into the city of Philippi at the direction of God. Like I said, he had a night vision. And Paul went into town with the gospel of Jesus. But he left town as a conqueror. He left town as being a man of great faith and power. I wonder how many things we're praying about that we should be exercising authority over. I think it's easier to have faith in God than to have the faith of God. Because faith in God means you're looking for God to do something. 
the faith of God means you've taken your authority. The God kind of faith is the kind of faith that God used when he created the world. There is no greater source or higher source to go to. God can't look to somebody else to enforce what he would pray for. He is the ultimate, the end result, the eternal power for man to operate under. Now, folks, it's great to have faith in God. But it's better to have the faith of God. Whatever situation or crisis you're facing, quit praying about it. Say what you desire. Speak the victory. Command it to be removed from your life. God's looking for people to grow and mature. And especially in these last days, these last days of glory, these days of the glorious church, there is nothing more important for us to know than the ability we have in Christ Jesus by the use of his by the use of his name to change situations in our lives. As I said, I'm looking for some three day spoils victories. I'm not looking just to barely squeak by. I'm looking for situations where the devil is defeated for everybody to see. And where we have some notable miracles to stand next to us as proof that the name of Jesus is the greatest of all names. Quit praying about your problems. Magnify God in your prayers. Exercise your authority by speaking and by exercising the faith of God. That's not faith in God, the faith of God. And see what he does. The Bible says that God watches over his word to perform it. But we have to put it into practice first. Let's all stand.
Father, we worship you. We magnify your holy name. We exalt the name of Jesus. Father, we exercise authority, our authority which was given to us from you. We exercise authority over sickness and disease, over lack and poverty. We exercise our authority to command our bodies to be well. For our bank accounts to be full. We call for blessings upon our loved ones and our families. We thank you, Father, that you have made us a glorious church. A church quick to step step out on your word. Father, we believe that you are able to perform that which you promised. We are fully persuaded by other situations and experiences we have with you. We know that you'll not let us down. And so, Father, like Abraham did, in the strength of his faith, giving glory to you, we glorify your mighty name. Glory be to the name of Jesus. We glorify you, Lord Jesus. We exalt you. We declare that we're not under the curse of the law. For Christ has redeemed us from that curse. We claim strength. We declare our righteousness is of you. Therefore, we declare that we're off limits to the devil. We glorify your name, Lord. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Father, we pray like the disciples did. Grant us boldness to speak your word. By stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done in the name of the holy child Jesus. Blessed be the name above all names. Hallelujah. Well, let's close with our confession once again. This is our year of jubilee. We expect manifestations of the Holy Ghost and power. We believe for financial miracles and miracles of healing in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. God bless you, folks. We love you.